Welcome to the Propaganda Report. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. I will not succumb to the pressure of giving the maestro of maestros an introduction worthy of his own. Instead, I will hide behind the fact that he is a returning guest and therefore needs no introduction. So we welcome back to the show the podcaster who truly sets the bar from the higher side chats. It is the incomparable Greg Carlwood. Welcome, Greg. Uh, Too kind. Thank you for having me back. We talked in April when this whole COVID thing was coming down. And I think we were kind of on the same page in that we we have all, you, me, Binkley, we've all, all talked to David Crow. We probably, I mean, I had been aware of his infectious myth work for years anyway. So I wasn't super afraid of of the sickness itself. I was afraid of what what PSYOP was coming down or the operation more generally. And just six months in, I thought it would be interesting for us to kind of regroup. And I think we were kind of proven out that that the illness was not the most devastating part of this. What have your reflections been just kind of big picture? I totally agree with you. I constantly am thinking about this, too, because, yes, we are doing alternative counterculture shows, but we want to be closer to the truth than the mainstream or the people we're criticizing most. It has no merit, you know? So I always am thinking about this and I feel all right with the shows I did even back in March and talking to you a few months after that, like six months ago in the summer. I feel confident that the things we said then all the way through are still largely accurate. Even though we have a lot more information, I still would go back to some of those first shows I did in March. And it's surprising that the guests I'd have who say, hey, these models that they're basing all this stuff on are grossly inaccurate. That came true. That came out. They were saying PCR testing, unreliable, wasn't even made for this kind of purpose. And it it's not going to prove anything. And that also seems to be true in the second wave that we are hitting in the fall here. You know, everybody predicted, well, it's an election season, so everything politicized is going to be amped up. Also, we're going into the holiday season, which is when people get sick. We already talked about how they are taking some illnesses and calling it COVID when it really isn't. So you would expect that to amplify. One of my recent guests, Nora Gedgaudis, she referred to it as a case-demic. And she'd been doing that for a long time. Instead of saying the second wave, she said, oh, we're going to enter the case-demic, which is where they can just control the lever by offering more PCR tests, which really don't tell us anything. And the question really is, are you sick? And a lot of people are feeling just fine sitting in line for hours to get a PCR test. And to her point, Nora's point, she said that case is a very specific medical term. And for it to be a case, you have to have the positive test or you have to have whatever it is they're testing for and symptoms. Symptoms are part of that definition. So if you don't have symptoms, you can't really call it a case yet. The cases are what are driving the lockdowns. So that's interesting. I I do feel pretty validated, even though I'm such an armchair expert, you know, which is not an expert. And just, you know, this medical stuff is so off the radar to me, but I feel all right about the the points that I've presented on my show and others at this point. I I had a couple of reactions like that, too. One is that it can you really call it a disease 
if it's you don't have an illness. So to even call it COVID, the D stands for disease. Are you can you be positive for COVID when you're not sick? And then when you go back and look at the whole entire theory of this positive test result without illness comes from one case in February in Germany that seemed to say that a person who did not have symptoms could give it to somebody who and then that person would get symptoms. That was flawed and it was immediately debunked in Germany. Yet that's what we've been hanging this whole thing on ever since. I don't know if you uh, remember that, but I completely question any part of this disease being that you could call something a disease that is asymptomatic. And as far as the medical stuff goes, because these guys, like I heard you talking on Grimerica about how this, that science is the new religion. And I, I would say it's actually worse than that. It's not even that it's a religion with religious texts and stuff. It's that the scientists are the priests and they have this medical, these texts that are written almost literally in Greek and they lie to us about what they're, what they say. And that we, because they're not written in vernacular, they can say that we don't understand it, but we're stuck trying to decipher the stuff that's meant deliberately for us to not understand because those scientists priests can't be trusted. Mm. Yeah. I, I like that. I think you're right. That, it is worse than science being the new religion. Science is the new God because it's God that a lot of people who don't have the answers to things just kind of defer to that and defer to their faith. And that's exactly what people are doing with science is just deferring to the experts. And I, that's not really the smartest thing to do. And it's it's funny because people now are saying, oh, you don't believe in science if you question the mainstream narrative. And it's also kind of scary that one political party seems to have the monopoly on science and then Republicans or conservatives are anti-science just because they question some of this stuff. And it's a dangerous road to be on and it's a real easy way to dismiss someone. And it's because their blind faith is in the science. It's like, well, you know, you, you wouldn't say to someone what you don't believe in history. You don't believe in art. You don't believe in language. It's like, well, there's a lot of nuances there. Science is a process. It isn't one conclusion yeah. and it can yeah. be bought and paid for as well. Why do you think cigarette companies fund their own science? Not and because they want to come to a conclusion because they yeah. don't want any conclusions. And there's another element to the, the, the lack of spirituality, the this false religion thing is that the you would not get people to completely succumb in abject terror to every possible solution and threat that they are being faced with if they actually had any genuine spirituality. It's because all they think about is that this earthly existence is the entirety of existence that you can you can bring them to their knees so easily just by scaring them into thinking there are trillions of tiny invisible monsters everywhere trying to kill us all they wouldn't be so easily controlled if they weren't so desperate for this narrow definition of existence yes it's true and I grew up going to a regimented Catholic school. I rallied against that for so long. When I was young, I thought I was smart and clever by becoming an atheist faster than my peers. And I just, I've come out the other side of that. And I, I do think that was engineered to get people to give up all spirituality. Because if you look now at 
who the people are who have the most resistance, it's kind of the church people. You know, if I look at my San Diego subreddit, they're all criticizing this local church for allowing people to come in with no masks and no social distancing because they give their faith to God. And obviously, I think there's an extreme on that side that gets a little silly, too. But I, I just I, at this point, I'll take any allies I can get because I need resistance to this big agenda. And that seems to be the place where you're getting it most. Also, the bro science people, the people who are into nootropics and biohacking and and optimum fitness, they're seeing through a lot of this too. A lot yeah. of these channels and these these certain podcasts, they really weren't designed to be conspiracy podcasts, although they do rally against the food corporations. They are the front line now, it seems, of people who are saying, wait a second, uh, this idea that I'm just a victim to whatever crosses my path is not true. I've been doing health and wellness for years now. And where's this on the news? Like they're starting to, to see those things too. They're starting to see through the lies and, um, they're also good allies. So it's weird that I'm finding allies and, and people that, uh, I really didn't care for five or six years ago. Are you enjoying this special episode of the propaganda report? If you are, you might enjoy our weekday show, The Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes of news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. We listen to the news and peel away the propaganda so you don't have to. It's free in the Propaganda Report feed on your favorite podcasting platform. And if that's not enough for you, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash propaganda report. There you can get a full 45 minutes of daily news from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice or choose higher tiers that give you all of that, plus access to our very special disappearing patron parties, live-streamed cocktail parties with us and like-minded patrons two Fridays every month that are always a blast. Hope you are enjoying this special episode of The Propaganda Report and hope to catch you at a patron party soon. The hypocrisy is evident, too, when the protests are sanctioned and the protests are OK and they never they never say anything about a super spreader event when it comes to protests. But church or Thanksgiving, that's a super spreader event. I want to give you a quick quote that I think that you will like. This is from the creator of the PCR test. The, the guy who created the PR, PCR test, colorful guy, died last August. He said he's speaking about science being directed by non-scientists. He said, as has been known for millennia, philosopher kings are hard to come by. Government grants, although offering, in theory, a preferable alternative, have the similar problem of being often administered by scientific incompetents who are after power and personal security instead of widely useful knowledge. Good scientists don't like administrative jobs, which leaves us exactly where we are. Science is generally directed by non-scientists. This is from a guy who was not fond at all of Fauci, and he created the PCR test, and there's video Harry of him. Harry Mullis, you must yeah. know him. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yes. As you mentioned to me in our little email before this, Harry oh, yes. Mullis and David Crow both dying within six months of this whole situation is very curious. Carrie yeah. Mullis yeah. in particular. Because yes, David Crow is great. The infectiousmyth.com is still a great resource if you want to dive into the idea that maybe there's some flaws with germ theory. It's very academic. I hope it's up for a long, long time. But I still think of him as kind of counterculture. Like he'd be a guest on my show, maybe a guest on your show, but I don't see him penetrating the culture. We still have people like David Crow, but Carrie Mullis created 
the freaking test. <laughs> and that is a person to have died right before their test is used for these purposes. Very curious to me. And he really objected to that test being used for the HIV AIDS connection by Fauci. So the parallel was there. I also think there's a parallel in that ventilators are like the new AZT where I don't know if I I recently learned the word just this year for COVID uh, iatrogenic illness that a lot of people die from the treatment. And I feel like ventilators and AZT fall into that category. But when I was investigating AIDS, And I read a book, Inventing the AIDS Virus by Peter Duesberg. I was I'd never heard of Carrie Mullis before, but he did the introduction to that book. And I was really persuaded at how absolutely straight down the middle, um, acceptable to the academic community. This book must be if it was introduced by a Nobel laureate in in a related field and Carrie Mullis. So you're right about that. Like he just brought so much power to what he had to say that, yeah, it's pretty curious. It's crazy that they debunk that, too. They have debunking articles. Well, what they do is they create the straw man and they say, no, the founder of the PCR test did not say the PCR test doesn't work with coronavirus, which nobody's arguing that. (laughs) Right. Yeah, they do that Mm. all the time. Um, But I did want to. Yeah, God. Oh, we're just going to say the fact checkers are are really funny. There's a lot of memes. I think a lot of times humor is the best way to fight things and to show people the truth, like let them come to it on their own. And there's a lot of memes going around that would be like Paul Revere tweeting, the British are coming, the British are coming. And then there's a little fact check symbol. And it's like why paying taxes to the crown is actually beneficial for you. (laughs) And it's like that kind of stuff. (laughs) It's like re it's showing the template that they're using now and applying it to all these different points in history. And that's exactly what would be happening. So I hope that, you know, things like that are useful for people. I wanted to um, go back to when we, we were first thinking about this and applying stuff that Carrie Mullis or David Crow would say that back then, if you had conspiracy types, people who were looking for alternative explanations for things are suspicious. A lot of people were glomming onto the Wuhan bioweapon narrative. And I, I think you did too, but I absolutely rejected that outright, was never afraid of it because after having followed that kind of, um, background on the David Crow stuff and the viruses and everything. I didn't even think, and when you look at bioweapons, I didn't even think they could make a virus that could actually do what they were saying this was going to do. Like if they do have bioweapons, I think they tend to be bacterial or whatever. But that's mm-hmm. how I feel like it's not just conspiracy, you know, cons- conspiranoia that you don't believe the official narrative. Like you have to use your truth dar and figure out what narrative if that narrative is plausible or not and that and this this discernment among all the conspiracy theories is just gets harder and harder and i'm sure that's intentional (laughs) right right i i'm always open to the idea that they would try to create something like this but i've always been a little skeptical well at least this year because i had some guests in previous years that suggested that almost all illness comes from vaccines and some really pretty wild stuff. And so uh, I was kind of questioning germ theory. But the first show I really did on this was with Gordon White and Chris Knowles, who are two longtime guests that uh, I I love their perspectives uh, quite a bit. And Chris did think it was more of a of an operation like a, a Wuhan lab 
bioweapon and Gordon didn't. So the the point came out on my show pretty early that maybe it was, but I would say that the angle with Charles Lieber, Dr. Charles Lieber, the former chair of Harvard's chemistry and chemical biology department, that story, the fact that he was arrested in January for not disclosing his role as a strategic scientist at the Wuhan lab, that was very curious. Uh, I still oh, wonder what that was about. And his I specialty apparently was nanotechnology. Yeah, I remember that arrest. I didn't know that he was in the Wuhan lab. Yeah, I mean, that is what I have read oh. in pretty mainstream articles. It was first brought to me by Dr. Farrell. He focuses on that a lot. But I looked that up earlier this morning because I wanted to make sure right. I had his uh, role correct. And it was a mainstream article. Um, he His specialty being nanotechnology, I think, is curious. And yeah. that, that's another thing that Dr. Farrell has kind of made me think about. They call this a vaccine. And it comes in a syringe. But if it's a nanotechnology thing and has all this weird Bill Gates type stuff, is it really a vaccine? They use the term vaccine because everyone's accepted it already. But this is something new in the form of a shot that isn't technically a vaccine. They've never put this in a shot before. So it's a little funny to be using the, the term vaccine because if they had to explain, oh, this is a an RNA nanotechnology that we've never used before. I don't know how many people would be <laughs> right. lining up, but they yeah. feel that term vaccine is safe. It's being celebrated as nanotechnology has arrived. It's like a big moment for nanotechnology from what I've read with this vaccine. I, I didn't realize the Harvard guy specialty was on nanotechnology. That is very interesting. Yeah, Dr. I, Charles Lieber. People should uh, investigate that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I, I do remember that story. I remember the nanotech part. I didn't make the connection with Wuhan, but I have been looking a lot into these vaccines. And I had the same question, like, can you really call this a vaccination? What makes it a vaccination? And then in today's news, they were talking about, I've seen the references to this along the way, but today it was absolutely driven home that the vaccination really makes you feel like you have COVID. And then the second shot, I don't know if it's with everybody, if it's a common side effect or it always happens this way, but they were saying that they're worried that people will get the vaccine and think that it gave them COVID. And then at the same time, Fauci is saying, oh, we're going to have surge upon surge. And these vaccines are supposed to unroll mid-December and mid-January. So the what you were saying, like some people think vaccines cause all the illnesses. I don't know about that, but it seems like um, you know, just going back to the Wuhan lab thing that I, I, I'm not surprised it, it does. I'm not I'm not suggesting for a second they wouldn't do whatever it is they could do. But it seems to me like if they are going to make people sick, this is how it's going to happen. And maybe that did come out of the Wuhan lab. I mean, if that's the nanotechnology, it could because a lot of people did say that stuff about the lab. And I just I figured it was something that was planted there to derail you or at least to pump up the fear you know, even among people who question official narratives to still be very afraid of the actual virus. Yes, yes. And I've talked to a lot of people who have gotten one flu shot, felt like it made them very sick, and they never went back and got another flu shot. And we probably talked last time about the data that shows that with some vaccines, it makes you more susceptible when you come in contact with that 
thing out in the environment. And that is apparently true with COVID-19. It's called immune enhancement. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It seems like they're already mainstream articles are coming out that are warning people against an element of vax of uh, uh, disease enhancement or whatever from this vaccine. And that should concern a lot of people. I also heard Fauci say he's still going to follow all the safety protocols. He's still going to wear his mask. And it's like, Okay, then what are we doing here? If it doesn't help anything, what? why Why do we need to spend these billions of dollars and everyone need to line up for a shot? I read about the Moderna vaccine this morning. 15,000 people took the vaccine in their study and 15,000 people I was shocked to see was reported was I, the placebo was a saline, which is the first time I've seen that in a long time. Normally, they give you something worse as the placebo. It's so nuts. But in those two groups, the 15,000 who got the saline, only one person died of COVID. And then the 15,000 who got the vaccine, no one did. So, I mean, even theoretically, it saves one life for every 15,000 people who get the shot. So I don't again, like, I, I just don't even know why what this whole thing has been marked. Every policy, every decision, everything we've been told has been marked with a complete absence of any real kind of scientific analysis, any cost benefit analysis, any of the stuff they normally tell us is what we, you know, why we need to give up our rights or whatever, because of the numbers, but none of that has been here. So that makes me wonder, you know, what are the bigger picture goals here? Do you have a sense of what you think? Like, why, why, you know, I, I think of it as kind of three baskets. One is the kind of medical health vaccine stuff. Maybe they want to implant something in us, or maybe they want to actually impair our immune system so that we're even more dependent on their kind of medicine. And then I see the kind of economic control demolition thing. Um, that maybe, you know, has just been a long time in coming and they wanted to really control who survived and who died and make sure that all the businesses that are left are global corporations that are in lockstep. And then socially, societally, putting people, uh, isolating them, you know, all those things seem to come together. Do you have a sense of, you know, what your gut is on what the big picture is here in those silos or something even bigger? No, I'm very much with you in those three baskets. The medical health one, I think there's a lot there. I think about my own allergies. Like if you could in this system, in this capitalistic system, if you had unlocked the ability to uh, we'll give someone a shot when they're a baby and they'll get a runny nose and then we'll sell them a product that keeps their nose from running for their entire life. How long would it be in this system of greed before someone did that. If it was possible, eventually someone would do it. A lot of people might say, oh, no, you know, that's a bridge too far. It's morally not right. I couldn't do that. Eventually, there'd be a CEO who's like, hey, we're beholden to these shareholders. It's not going to hurt anybody. Let's give them the shot. Their nose will run. We'll give them Claritin forever. Like eventually it would happen. And once it happens, it's done. So I do think about that medical lock and key aspect. And I think it's come in play, come into play with previous vaccines possibly could here. You know, you were talking about traditional vaccine studies, and that is true. The idea of the placebo, it doesn't exist because they say that it would be 
Uh, it would be morally not right to give children a placebo because vaccines are just so important. But when they usually when they do do these studies, they give one the vaccine and then the other group, they give just the adjuvants, which are just the preservatives and the heavy metals. Well, a lot of people think that's where the damage comes in. So it always it kind of lowers the contrast between uh, getting nothing and getting a vaccine because they're still giving the other group the poisonous parts of the vaccine. It's, that was the big obviously. fraud with Gardasil. And it's actually yeah. why I was so suspicious. I mean, I'm just like too suspicious normally, but anytime I'm not super suspicious is when I'm wrong. And when I'm really, really cynical is when like I can predict what's going to happen next. So last year, in, I think, December, the World Health Organization had a symposium on vaccine safety. And and then around that time, or a little bit after that, Dr. Shiva came out from a classroom in MIT where he explained the dangers of adjuvants and the the World Health Organization thing was focusing on adjuvants. And I remember at the time speculating, you know, not to be too cynical, but maybe they're focusing on adjuvants because they want to start unrolling vaccines that don't have them, that have a genetic basis instead of this kind of conventional thing. And because I kind of smelled a rat with that because that information had been so totally suppressed. And then all of a sudden it was like top of mind for people before the COVID thing, really, that now that we see that of, I mean, almost all the vaccine candidates were conventional, but the only ones that are being fast tracked right now are this weird RNA thing. And in the case of Southern poor countries, the DNA one mm -hmm. that I can't help but wonder if they, that they're, that this is a big trial for something that they could not get regulatory approval on before. And that one of the main reasons here was to shift us from getting that regular vaccine shots to now these these shots that we don't even know what's in store for us then. Right, right. And when it comes to the other agendas of the COVID operation, you know, a lot of times in the conspiracy culture, the theme that the elite have always had to fight against the American idealism. It's always been there. Like they're always trying to get rid of our guns, but the guns are in the constitution so that they really can't do it. They have a really hard time unraveling that. Well, I think about that in this context and the fact that a lot of researchers have been talking about social crediting in China and how they want to do that here. And it's like, well, if you're in a think tank, and you're like, how do we do that? How do we ostracize some people from society for not playing ball in America, the way people think about freedom and, and all that stuff that we're trying to get rid of. Well, you have to make them seem dangerous. So if you tie it all to the vaccine, you can get this done. If you can tie someone's bank accounts to their biometric data, and that goes part and parcel with energy and food rations based on, did you get this vaccine? How much can you participate in our society if you did or didn't get this vaccine? And a lot of people's friends and family who drink the Kool-Aid would say, come on, man, all right, just get the shot and then we can go to concerts together again. Get the shot and then you can come over for Thanksgiving. Uh, there's really no other way to split apart America. I, I can't think of one. I've really tried to, to rack my brain on this. And it seems like because the vaccine is this 
gold standard and and it's an invisible virus and they've scared everyone to this degree, this is what will do it. And so I am worried. I hope a lot of people see through this and they stay true to their inner circles and their friends and family. But if you wanted to use a type of social crediting leveling system to shut on and off people's access to resources and their digital dollar that might be coming, it would have to hinge on this vaccine. And that's interesting that you say that because about how it affects everyone. And it's almost like you have to prove a negative, which is kind of impossible to do. And I and I recall thinking with Obamacare that even the selective service or whatever, when you register for the draft, Basically, all people of a certain demographic have to register, but not every last person. But when they introduced Obamacare, every last person had to come up with their health ID, whatever it was. You know, they had to be able to prove their health insurance status. And I remember thinking, like, this is the first time where even with the Social Security card, they give them to you at birth now, but you wouldn't have to have one unless you went to get a job. Like, they don't make you have one. But this is the one time where the health thing where, yeah, they can basically say any undocumented person is a danger to everybody else. And that is an interesting thing. I hadn't thought of it all the way through like that. Well, also, healthcare that you just brought up, it's like, there's all this push for our, our like our healthcare system is broken and privatizing profits on people's health is absolutely wrong. But knowing what we know about alternative health, I'm also concerned about government controlled healthcare because there that's going to be the the part where they say, well, all these natural remedies and herbs and all this stuff, get rid of that. We're not going to pay for that. So they can control the kind of medical treatment you get by uh, controlling your insurance. But that's a, a, a very much like a pre-existing condition. Oh, you don't have the COVID vaccine. Well, we won't cover you for anything health related at all. Uh, that's yeah. going to be a reality, I think, for some people. And as many people go broke right now with our current system, think about not being able to physically get insurance. As someone who left the corporate world, like when I worked at GameStop, very easy to have insurance. It's baked into the job. But then when I start working for myself, I, it, it became very difficult. I went the first five years without any health insurance. I'm just like, hope nothing bad happens. Now <laughs> right. I pay for it, but it's definitely way more expensive than I ever would have thought. And I just focus on, on, you know, building up my immune system through natural means. And I hope I never have to deal with it. Well, I do think I've thought with the Obamacare thing, if they wanted you to just be able to make sure you don't get super sick, they would make it easy for you to get what would be very cheap for you, kind of catastrophic care. But I wondered with the Obamacare thing, if they really wanted people in there in that system, because it's kind of like giving everyone an Obama phone. It wasn't because they want to make sure that everyone has a phone in case of emergencies. They want to make sure everybody's plugged in to allopathic medicine or the surveillance and censorship system. I feel like they were they're threatened by people who operate outside of it because maybe it's not a healthcare system at all, but really you know, it's a self-perpetuating operation where you have to be inside it to need their medicine. And if you were outside it, maybe you would get, you wouldn't get as sick. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, In a lot of cases, I mean, uh, going back to David Crow, chemotherapy is one of those things. It's like, 
There are some researchers who say that our bodies develop lumps and our bodies fight them off. Our, if you test people routinely for cancer, there will be a point where you hit a positive. But that doesn't mean that you feel any different and it doesn't mean that your body couldn't have cleared that out. And if you would come for a test 40 days later, it wouldn't be detectable. We don't know, but that's why they always say come in for routine testing. It's something they can charge for. And if they, if you pop positive, just like a PCR test, now you're in the system. You can't reject the treatment once they found a problem and they're always looking for a problem. And they want people to broadcast that they had tested positive too. The past couple of days they've been talking about, don't be ashamed of testing positive. You shouldn't be ashamed of it. You, you should tell everybody you tested positive, but people aren't ashamed of it. It just disrupts your life if you test positive because you have this bogus test that causes you to have to tell all your friends and, and stay quarantined and not do the things you need to do for two weeks. That's why they're not telling you, but they want people to feel comfortable broadcasting their positive test. It wouldn't surprise me if they started demanding it or mandating that you broadcast your positive test. Mm -hmm. I agree. They want to keep that fear up. I also, I worry a little bit. Oh, my mother always said that about the cancer, by the way, she's 91. And she says, I probably had cancer once in a while, you know, (laughs) but you know, I just never noticed it. (laughs) Okay, ma. Could be. That's what she thinks. She's got that old wisdom and it's because she's so cheap. The immune system has, (laughs) There are, there are cases where the immune system does defeat. I'm not saying people should rely on that. Yeah, no, I mean, we go, can't you know, get checked out, but we have to try to think for ourselves like that's the problem with all this and, and that you feel responsible. And I think, Greg, you've mentioned that like podcasters say there's a responsibility to stay, you know, stay on script or whatever, maybe broadcasters in general to stay on script because who's to you don't want to give people the wrong information. Yeah. But the fact is that you people have to think and question and feel empowered to think and question for themselves because I don't because these scientists have are not only priests, but really, and this goes to the Carrie Mullis thing, Binkley, you were saying they're politicians. The ones who we listen to are politicians. Yeah. So they're not really there to tell us the, the objective truth because they love us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Fauci was no coincidence <laughs> that he happened to be the front man in this thing. On AIDS and this. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, my goal and my role in this whole alternative culture is really just to be a connector. If anyone's making major medical decisions based on what I say, I think that's a little silly. But my goal is to connect you to resources where you can be way more confident. You know, you have to go to the real academic type people to which I am a liaison to because they don't reach the mainstream. So, My goal is just to connect people to really high quality sources of alternative information. And that's the best I can do. Of course, everyone has to make their own decisions. And it's really, really tough to stick to your guns if you do find these alternative doctors and experts to be credible when you have a crisis situation. It's very tough to be like, you know what, I am going to turn down chemotherapy and I'm going to go with the Gerson Institute instead, even though... Yeah, like intellectually, you feel like you get it, but then when you have a real problem, it's like it's just difficult to not acquiesce to the system. Although I'm going to try really hard if I ever do have a crisis situation. I I remember when that's a Steve, great point, by the way. It's a really great point. Yeah, when Steve nice. Jobs went down, he said in his I don't know if it was in his bio or his you know deathbed confession, like I'd probably be 
something to the effect of, oh, his greatest regret was that he chose an alternative course, even though he had a pancreatic cancer, which unlike all other pancreatic cancers, virtually pancreatic cancer is generally untreatable. And he said, I happen to have one that was treatable, but I, I went down the alternative path. I just couldn't understand. Like he really threw it under the bus on the way out. And that just felt very scripted to me. Yeah. Mm. My mom has a rare illness that less than 500 people in the country had it when it was, when she was first diagnosed with it. And it wasn't in the book. It wasn't in the script that they normally give out to patients that they learn in medical school. So they don't have answers. And when you don't have answers, it makes it a little bit easier to look for alternative solutions because it doesn't mean there's not an answer. It just means that they don't know the answers yet. But the way that we psychologically have been kind of conditioned, it's like if they don't have an answer for us, we're out of luck. And that that propagandistic type psychological effect is very powerful in people. It, well, I, I, I think that what you're doing by bringing in the experts of that is it's a way to break that psychological conditioning to give that confidence to at least pursue other avenues of treatment. Absolutely. And a recent guest I had on who was a rancher here in San Diego, it's where I now get my meat from. He started his ranch, this regenerative agriculture, grass fed, completely natural type of ranching he started this because his wife had an autoimmune disease and it's now no longer an issue for her so i don't know if your mom has found any um solutions outside of the system but um for a laundry list of autoimmune related things it just seems like getting bone broth and organ meats back into the diet can do things that shock me seems like magic almost what was his name again Doug Lindemood, his actual ranch is Sunrise Ranch, but their delivery wind area is really just Southern California. But seek out a local ranch in your area. They're, they're all across the country, although you'll only find a handful. And it is so important to not go to the mainstream grocery stores or to Safeway or to Costco for your meat. <laughs> go to these local ranchers or they won't be there when Tyson has a total monopoly on the market and then shuts it down because of COVID. There will be no other options. We need to decentralize our food more than ever. And so I would hope that everyone listening has a good local meat source of the highest quality that they support because that's going to be super crucial. And it will actually help your, your health a lot. It's a complete win-win. And this would be the time because the one thing that I noticed this when this COVID thing came down is how what completely a lack of control I have, I live in LA now, I have over my scene in that if they decided to turn off the water, the power, the food, I mean, literally I see fires like out my window and, and PG&E or Southern Cal Edison, I mean, the government contractors are often, <laughs> those fires are attributed to them. And I just look around and I think I really have no control whatsoever. I don't know how to grow anything. I'm really originally from Brooklyn. Like I do mm -hmm. not know anything about that kind of thing. And if you made those connections now, now is when th those, uh, it would have been an unintended consequence of this whole psyop, but that they maybe would thrive right now because people do need alternatives when they're shutting down the grocery stores and shutting down these big processing plants. So maybe that's a little silver lining. <laughs> yes, yes. In fact, 
Gordon White, who's been on my show more than anyone else since its inception. I love him. Uh, a good friend of mine who runs Rune Stoop. He's more focused in the magical and esoteric area, but he reapplies that to so many different things. And he was one of the first people to say things to me like the difference between permaculture and prepping is really just, you know, that you think there will be an after all this versus thinking that you're preparing for the end of the world. And also lines like, wouldn't it be good to learn how to garden at a time before you're digging through garbage cans to try to feed your kids? You know, like we can learn this now or we can learn this when we're in a real crisis. And especially in 2020, where we see the road ahead, you know, I might have been lazy thinking, oh, yeah, eventually I'm going to need to do that. But I mean, if you're being lazy now, it's like <laughs> the writing is kind of on the wall. And the mindset for me is I always thought in the context of the civilization as I saw it from my point of view and just accepted a lot of assumptions I didn't even recognize as assumptions. And then I read just by coincidence right before this COVID thing, I read Ted Kaczynski's Technological Slavery, but also like some other stuff on that. And it makes you think that really the only true occupation that we were really psychically meant to have is kind of growing the food you eat that kind mm -hmm. of thing that that we've been so removed from that that it's uh, that it's unnatural and that maybe it takes more energy but that that it's kind of an inevitable responsibility that you have, especially if you have kids to be able to do that. I personally don't know if this stage of my life I can, I can do that, but I wish I had realized kind of the true nature of human existence earlier on, because I kind of feel like it's so obvious once you see that you're just not in control and you have no skills that can, that could put you back in the driver's seat. Right. Right. It is all about system dependence. And one of my favorite things about comedians like George Carlin and Bill Hicks is these hard hitting truths where you're just like, oh, man, I'm guilty of that. You got me with that one. And I've been talking all year about the fact that the mask thing, you know, I'll go into the post office or go into Target and I'll see people that look like they've never thought about their health once in their life, but they got gloves and a mask on. And it's like, you know, it's a lot easier to just put on gloves and a mask than stop eating at McDonald's, stop drinking Diet Coke. Like, it's really difficult to get your immune system in check and to really get your diet locked down. So I think there is a, a truth there that in the mainstream people need to confront that it's not about putting on the mask. It's about what you're eating and what you're doing. When was the last time you ran around the block? It's going to do a lot more for you than putting on that mask. But there's another layer for the alternative culture which is system dependence. How critical can you be of the system when you still suckle at that teat? And that's a bit of what we're dealing with right now. Like if you don't get your own food, then, you know, you kind of need to shut up about how bad it all is. I mean, I'm dealing with that personally right now that I'm trying to be more vigilant on that because I do, I do still get my food from the system. I mean, obviously, I don't have the kind of land or the staff required to be completely self-sufficient, but I'm trying to take steps in that direction so that I can be more critical and, you know, put my money where my mouth is, so to speak. And if you have enough time, then maybe you can get there. But I also, and oh, I, I was thinking when you were saying that, that for the longest time I've you know, been a libertarian. I was on the 
regular radio, like a conservative radio station talking to people about the Constitution and um, trying to get, you know, the government to, to adhere to its own foundational principles and all that. And then finally, I realized now this year, I kind of changed my label from anarcho-capitalist to agorist because I realized that you cannot have it's it's futile and almost laughable to argue for liberty inside a system that you can't possibly have any control over. So if you the only way you could have control over your your own life is if you had control over the means of subsistence. So it's this whole thing has really made me have a, a very significant philosophical shift. One thing I would also say is I've kind of stopped using or, or questioned the, the expression immune system, because I've noticed a couple of things that when you get cancer or you're in really high stress, your white blood cells spike, like as if you have an infection. Like I, I had a super stressful experience and I had a blood test and the doctor thought I had appendicitis. <laughs> I was like, okay, uh. I'm, I wasn't. And then I took it again and I was fine. Then I realized that maybe it's not an immune system at all. There's just this basic like health system or the stay alive system that all those elements of health, uh, of a healthy kind of cellular health whatever, help you resist all sorts of uh, causes of disease, whether it is microbial or stress or toxins or radiation. And that if people were thinking that way, they really wouldn't be scared enough to wear a mask or gloves or anything like that, because they would have some confidence in their ability to resist the stuff they come into contact with all the time anyway. Yes, yes, I agree with you, especially... The immune system, it is kind of warped terminology. It's terminology that keeps us in the mainstream model because if you listen to Dr. Andy Kaufman and there are other people who talk about when you have symptoms, generally it's your body pushing things out, whether it's snot or you're vomiting or you're sweating. The symptoms that we don't like are our our body excreting things and so there's the perspective that you've come in contact with a toxin and so your body is excreting things so you don't really want to take medications that dry all that up because it keeps the toxin in your body longer you're treating the symptoms not the cause and that's a school of thought that i think has a lot of merit i mean just logically when you think about all those symptoms that we hate they pretty much are all your body pushing things out of it so it's not really a robust immune system. It's more like a, it is like um, it, it's it is like a defense mechanism against toxins. And there's real little subtleties there that the mainstream system isn't really accepting. But when you listen to these alternative doctors, that's the context they put it in. And I'm starting to adopt that context. You know, I had a tweet challenge me on exactly that score this year. I was when I talked to David Crow, he couldn't really answer my chicken pox question. And I just couldn't get my mind around that whole body of like herpes, viruses, whatever. I'm like, seems like viruses. I get cold sores are the grossest things ever. And the only thing that works is this antiviral. And a tweet said to me, don't take that. There's a reason that you're getting these things. And I was like, I don't know. It's too gross. So I said, well, let me just do some research. 
And it ends up that there are two amino acids, agonine, I think, and lysine. And if they're in imbalance, you get cold sores. And if they're not, you don't. So I started taking lysine. I'm not recommending it. I'm just saying I started taking it just to see. And for the first time in my life, I just don't get cold sores anymore. And the guy was totally right. Like I was taking this thing to suppress a symptom when I obviously had an underlying problem that I now don't have because I just didn't have the right nutrition or whatever. So I only give that as an example because that's where I was stumped and I accepted the challenge to like try to figure it out. And to my amazement, it completely worked. And, you know, I just think that when you start thinking about your assumptions differently, if you stop thinking about immune system and start thinking about health and balance, you might get better answers. No doctor ever told me that. They were giving me these pills that were like $30 each. And uh, mm. nobody ever, ever said that until. And so I believed what they were saying because they gave me the pill that cured the thing. But thinking in a different way led me to a different answer, which I think was a better answer. Yes, that is a great example of exactly what I was trying to articulate. Like sometimes our body shows us an outward facing sign of an internal problem that you can't see. And we focus on just that sign and we want it to go away because we want to look good when we go out or something like that. But our body doesn't really care. It's trying to tell us about something. Well, it was very useful. Now, I want to sw- shift gears because there's something undeniable that's shocking and scary about this whole thing. And that is that every single, really every government body vertically, horizontally, from the local level to the national level, every other country, it seems like for the most part, businesses, citizens, academia, the media, every, the vast, vast majority of all of those people in those groups have gotten into lockstep about this narrative from um, what that that there is a, you know, unusually high number of people getting very sick, that it's caused by a virus that we need to lock down, we need to social distance, we need to use masks, we need to have a vaccine, like all of this stuff is just unfolding in lockstep. What do you I think the people are just afraid and have been taught how not to think. I think businesses know where their bread is buttered. They have to obey. They're not going to get. But but what you know, what do you think is going on here? It just seems too much. It just there's too much um, submission on every point of view. Like, what do you what do you see? You know, how do you see that? (laughs) I'm with you. It is shocking how quickly everybody rolled over. And that was one of the first things I said was when we're all inside because of a virus, when is that virus gone? Like, be very careful how much you're acquiescing just because, you know, you might always be stuck inside. There are a lot of viruses, to my knowledge, the stories that we have of, of the mainstream paradigm is that even a few people still die of these things every year. So problems we had 100 years ago are still around in some small fashion. So what's to say that we go inside for three weeks and then this will be gone? That doesn't even make sense. But one of the big things that I've had guests say, because, you know, I I interview people in a lot of different areas that aren't really conspiracy. They're all counterculture, but sometimes I'll have a magic expert on or something like that. And the topic of control comes up. and. The number one response to the idea that there isn't this one all-powerful cabal running the show is that governments are inept and that coordination 
is not likely because they're just so there's so much incompetence. And I think we've proven this year that there's a lot of coordination. Worldwide global coordination is not that hard. I've seen it just when they're changing the lights on all the worldwide monuments, when there's a tragedy that happens like that night, every monument around the world will be lit up a certain color. It's like, that's a small example, but I still wonder like, man, the same day in 12 hours, you got, you got everything. And it's so they can have these great shots across the mainstream media, this worldwide solidarity. And this is, I think, our first real in-your-face example of true worldwide coordination. And I think a lot of it comes through the UN and the World Monetary Fund and their demands they make to certain world leaders where they'll just say, hey, we have this global pandemic going on. You need to follow this list of protocols in your country or we will deny you the ventilators or the services that we have. And the world leaders, because they're facing a PR crisis and they don't want to be on the wrong side of their angry mobs, they follow the mainstream narrative. So it's like they're caught in the middle and it is bribery. Like they know where their their bread is buttered. It comes from these major organizations it's a it's a level change to um the economic hitman situation if you ever read that book or, or saw him in zeitgeist i can't recall his name right now uh, perkins john perkins something perkins maybe but... yeah i mean i did i did read it and i remember that book yes. very well there's an he... example from right now in that First of all, I, I coined a long time ago the expression, the incompetence canard, that it's this fake story the government gives us that they're incompetent so that we don't aren't alert to them. Mm-hmm. Occam's Razor is another example. People say, oh, it's just Occam's Razor. But no, Occam's Razor is Hanlon's, what they can hide behind. Hanlon's <laughs> Razor. Anything that can be explained by incompetence? No, I, I mean, people say, oh, it's Occam's Razor. That's simplest, it's, it's simplest solution, which is usually incompetence, yes. is most likely the, the answer. I'm like, that's, right. that's what they can hide behind if we just say that's the answer every single time. I yes. think Hanlon's one goes hand in hand with that, which is uh, don't blame on like uh, malice, anything that you can blame on incompetence. Yeah. Right. But which is exactly the opposite. Yes. I don't believe in coincidences that we just fall into these situations. A lot of them are engineered. And they all go in the same direction. So did you hear about Belarus? You know, Belarus is undergoing like protests and regime change. Did you see that his I don't know if it was his claim or if it's in if it's documented. But apparently the IMF went to him and offered that guy who's been the president of Belarus forever, uh, like a billion dollars to go along with the covid narrative. And he refused to do it. And right. they they have like the lowest rate of COVID deaths and he didn't wouldn't do any of the mass thing or anything like that. And now they're trying to get rid of him. And I think that demonstrates your point. Yes, exactly. When it was at the John Perkins Confessions of an Economic Hitman level, it was more about, well, now you, we want you to take these huge loans kind of at gunpoint. And then when you can't repay the loan, we're going to uh, either have you vote with us on the next U.N. bill or something or you're going to open up your oil fields to U.S. companies or you're going to open up your agriculture to U.S. companies or let us control your water supply. Like that is how we would capture these other nations. And it is just a level change of that same game where they have something they must implement. And if you don't go along with it, the CIA is going to come in and find some reason to get your people to revolt against you and you will be out of power. So uh, we've seen this before. 
We have sounds like a great reset. Also, what they're doing to their trillions of dollars are going to be investing around the world. Two companies that that adhere to the ESG standards, the environmental social governance standards, which basically boil down to the equivalence of a social credit score for corporations and all the way down to the individual. It's a similar type of of, uh, mafia type thing going on. Yeah. I mean, people doubt the goal is a one world government. Well, we're here. This is it. One, these organizations, these multinational organizations are making decisions for all the world. And that's not right. These aren't elected officials. Who are these people? We barely even know, but yet we're acquiescing to everything they determine that they want us to do. I'll tell you an example from Event 201. If you go back and watch the videos, there's one, Binkley, we should, we should cite this one. I mean, I know we've seen it before, but it shows, they talk about how to get leaders like presidents of countries in line who it well, what if some, you know, somebody asked the question, they're, they're just like, they're spitballing, you know, how to handle <laughs> resistance. Yeah. And they said, what if a president doesn't want to do it? And he says, well, we'll just have one of our guys, you know, the billionaire in their country, call him up and use a little soft power. Well, somebody talk to him. Right. Exactly. So, but it's the billionaires, it's the soft power, it's the phone calls that you get. And it's so easy when you take some president who probably isn't already rich, like you're not saying, hey, let, why don't you lever up the Suez Canal? And if you lose it all, we'll take it away from you. It's like, hey, why don't you let us lever up the Suez Canal? We'll give you the money and we'll just rape your country. But you'll, you know, it's a win-win for us guys. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I almost... Don't blame these people because they're in this position where they're like, this is bigger than me. I will get nothing if I like my people. I hate to say like my people are too dumb, but the average person has been propagandized so heavily that they don't understand these positions that their leaders are even in to a higher power. And so their attitude is like, yeah, I'm not going to be a martyr for this. You know, uh, they're going to kill me and then I'm going to be destroyed in the history books like well, i'll have nothing and all i have to do is play ball a little bit and then i can retire a billionaire and everybody's gonna love me they'll probably put statues of me across the whole country because i'll be in the flow of the machine and those are the people that become our heroes in history is people who the machine has determined were good little soldiers I'm shuddering at the image of a Klaus Schwab statue. <laughs> <laughs> he is the supervillain of the century, he of is. the millennium. But, um, Greg, I wanted to ask you two off-topic questions, if you don't mind. But first, cool. ask you if there's anything that we should have hit on on this topic that we haven't. No, I think it's funny that you just mentioned Klaus, though, because I did see someone tweet me a screenshot that I can't verify because his Twitter is locked if you aren't an approved follower. And I'm not I'm not going to go through all that. But apparently uh, the World Economic Forum, there was a few lines they highlighted where they were talking about how they're trying to uh, manage the worldwide food shortage that is coming. They've cited it as a guarantee. And then they said that people who got vaccines would be getting plant-based protein shipped to them. They were trying to work out the logistics of of shipping plant-based proteins to those people. And it's like, this is what we're talking about, limiting resources. They're trying to shut down uh, uh, regenerative agriculture, independent farming. They are trying to shut it down. They're using climate change as the reason why we can't have cows 
and they're trying to get rid of the very vital nutrients that we need right when we're rediscovering how important they are. I, I got that same screenshot from somebody and I did look into that account and that account does appear to be, I don't know if it's a parody account because it's not really tweeting funny stuff, but it does appear to be not his account. But I will say this, the sentiment that they are preaching at the World Economic Forum, it is very similar to what you're saying there. But that would yeah. be a perfect thing to push out there and then debunk it when it is actually true. Like I think Greg yeah. said once about the 5G thing, they throw that out there so that it looks like you're crazy to think it's right. true mm-hmm. by putting mm-hmm. a fake one out there. But I think he said stuff like that. He, he did. We, he has said stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. We've thoroughly looked into that Great Reset stuff. Binkley's probably watched every minute of uh, it. Yeah, I've watched him multiple times. That <laughs> and the cyber attack. He says that there's going to be a cyber attack. Yeah, I worry about worry that. About. I worry so, about waking up one day and I can't reach any of my listeners. My yeah. payment processors are not sending money in anymore and I'm just fucked. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm thinking about the not being able to grow stuff. So I've noticed, especially in California, just... Maybe not right now because air traffic is low, but the, and I'm sure you notice in San Diego, just the constant, constant spraying, just freaking constant. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't really even figure out why they, you know, I don't know for sure. I, I don't have great resources for it. I don't know for sure why they want to do it. One of my thoughts is so you can't grow anything in any kind of natural way. Who knows? But. In a more, I don't know if esoteric is the right word, but when I, what makes me so sad about it, it's not necessarily, it's not just that they're probably raining chemicals down on us and screwing with the weather and all that, but you look up in the sky or you look at a sunset and you, or you see an unusual cloud formation. When I was a kid, I used to look at that stuff and really feel moved, feel like, wowed by nature by maybe an insight into the mind of god or whatever and now and it reminded me of a conversation you had with michael Wan about like corporate pot has corporate thc or whatever has has just kind of been bad uh it's like the worst thing that could have happened to pot was making it legal something like that and i and i just think of in the same way like there are these like gifts from god and they've been totally distorted by these forces this this world force that is basically in control of everything now it seems like and i just you know that's at the point where it starts to bum me out and i i just wondered if i thought if anybody had would like look up in the sky and just pisses you off on that level it might be you mm-hmm. and it, did you ever have that observation yeah definitely and the the pot thing it is kind of a mixed bag because on one hand they're not putting people in cages for having it anymore. And that is the beautiful thing, you know, essentially uh, with legalization, that is a, a really a point that can't be overemphasized. Yeah, you're right. When, when yeah. it comes to the, the weed itself, it's kind of like, uh, you know, restaurants when they have the health inspector come through, it's like, I can understand how there's a lot of measures in here that are probably way above what's actually important that mom and pop shops can't even meet that standard of and a lot of them go out of business because of that but at the same time there would be some really junky kitchens out there making our food if there wasn't some type of standard the same goes for weed growers i think is that 
Just because it's legal or illegal doesn't mean there aren't people out there putting pesticides and toxic chemicals on their stuff so that it grows pest-free and that they can make the most profit. I mean, you're looking at a shady industry. There's going to be shady people within it. They're not all altruistic just because they want to be the Johnny Appleseed of marijuana. But it's just the same as with food. It's probably true that since legalization, the big corporate guys have gotten involved. There's a market flooded with high, high THC, That's the unnatural thing. levels. The kids are doing that, man. Right. Causing, <laughs> like, causing psychosis. They're psychosis. going to the hospital. And that's yeah. all they have to do right now because you can't really go anywhere and you can't meet up in groups. So people are, are the... People are taking in a lot more of it than... And just for the record, I would never, ever suggest that anything be illegal except for, you know, touching me or my stuff. Like, I absolutely (laughs) am not suggesting that. It's just messed up that they're like, oh, we're going to regulate it. And all of a sudden, it sends people to the hospital. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Well, dabs is another thing. People doing dabs, I don't really support that. What is that? So dabs is uh, they it, they can call it shatter or crumble, but it's the concentrated THC, and it's usually done with an alcohol solvent. So if you don't have a hundred percent of that alcohol out of it, which you know who's verifying this? That means when you smoke dabs, not only is it super concentrated, like sometimes 40-50% THC, but it could also have traces of alcohol in it that you're ingesting. And that's not good. You're not supposed to burn alcohol and ingest it. So I worry about the dabs aspect of all this because I have seen people who do start, they convert to dabs on a regular basis. And I start thinking they have pretty flawed logic and they start getting pretty close to the edge and getting paranoid. And I just, I really don't support dabs. I do it once in a while, like special occasions. It's like doing a shot. You're not doing shots every day. Smoking a a joint is like drinking a beer. That you might be able to manage more regular usage of. But I worry about the dabs being way too potent and no one's really verifying them. You can do live resin, which is dabs that are, or a concentrate, I should say, that's created just from heat and pressure. I've seen the machines do that firsthand. That's interesting. That's kind of cool. I I really don't have a huge problem with that, but it shouldn't be your regular go-to. Your regular go-to, if you're going to be a marijuana user, should be uh, something where you have checked the source, just like food. It's not good to ingest things that you think are questionable. You need to vet your own sources, just like food, anything you're putting in your body. And once you find brands that you think uh, really do support the principles you are aligned with, then you should be okay if you stick to that. But worry, look, look at those THC concentration levels. They really are unnaturally high right now because they're being engineered to be that way. And there are other cannabinoids in the plant that are very helpful for you, more than CBD. Everyone talks about CBD. There's dozens of cannabinoids in the marijuana plant that have not been isolated and determined exactly what they do. And I think that's because nature is complex. And that soup of compounds that is in the marijuana plant in its natural state is more in line with what I want to be ingesting on a daily basis because I can't stop. <laughs> there, I don't know anybody in Georgia who knows how to vet their their sources when it comes to that. I really don't. Even people who are distributors of it that I'm aware <laughs> of, you could ask them questions about it and they can't tell you a single thing. I don't know. I don't have a clue. 
Right. Well, it, I will say as we're talking that the culture or the experience or whatever, as we adopt or adapt to this new system, people will wake up and figure it out for yeah. themselves. As a libertarian, I probably should I mean, blood with that. Rex sounds like super. I, I just learned more about that. <laughs> In about two minutes, then I have my entire life. And I've asked people, like, I've searched a little bit yeah, for it. Yeah, smoke the whole weed. I, I didn't know that either. I thought it was just THC and CBD. But I always like to tell my kids, like, anything that you're doing, eating, sticking in any of your, you know, holes, make sure it's <laughs> how God meant it. <laughs> I mean, pie hole. <laughs> if you're going to smoke it, you know, don't shoot anything. It's not natural to shoot things. Yeah. You know, if you can see how it grew out of the ground, you can eat it. You can, you know, potentially smoke it. I don't know. But. Well, it, again, it is just like food. Like that is the aspect. And I know what you're saying. I grew up in Missouri. There's just no way to vet it in an illegal market. You just yeah. get what you can get. But I walk into a shop and there's probably 500 brands available. And yeah, maybe 400 of those brands are corporate brands full of chemicals. But it's like a farmer's market. You know, you can actually choose who you buy from and you can just go to finding four or five good brands that you look at the, of course, I'm not touring their facilities, but you look at the principles on their website and it's more in line with we do things naturally, we grow outdoors, we don't use any pesticides. And there are regulators that do make sure some of this stuff is true. And then there's other brands that their website is all about like, let's get you fucked up, man. Let's go hard. <laughs> like, and, and that's the kind of stuff like avoid that. Yeah. Because that's just going to make you stupid. So Completely individual agree. liberty and personal responsibility are, uh, are are the answers to that and probably every other social question. So I appreciate that. Exactly. So what I see people do is to quick comment on that is they hit that a little bit and then they do it more and then they do it more. And then it's to the point where the person is so baked, they can't function. They, they can barely walk, but they continue to to hit it and i'm like there's i don't think it's possible on this planet to for this person to get any higher but they continue that's just wasting it at this point but it's just kind of a uh automatic reaction to reach over grab it hit it reach over grab it hit it well being drunk is similar too right there's yeah. definitely people you're at you're two in the morning you don't need another drink but you right. drink it all night so it's just like sure pop me another beer yeah so here's the, the big question I have for you, Greg, and I'll let you go. <laughs> so you've talked to everybody about everything and as far as like the very big picture. I feel like you've just kind of hit it all. You've been trying to look down from 60,000 feet or higher for a long time. And I know that you said that you kind of grew up in a Catholic school and then you went atheist and then you are exploring other ideas over this time. And I've gone back and looked at the Greeks and I've and I, I've never there aren't any absolutely proven answers to this question. But I just wondered if you had if there was anything you feel with confidence is definitely true or definitely not true about the higher power, or God or the universe. I mean, is there any insight that you've come up with after all this time that you feel like that question has been answered? Um, I like it. I like the big epic stuff, but. I think it might even sound kind of trite, but I would be convinced that this is a consciousness development dimension. People might want to say soul development, and that's fine, but that's what I think we're in. I think it's a series of tests. A lifetime is a series of tests prompting 
us to rise to our own hero's journey, let's say. I think it's supposed to be challenging, but I also think it's supposed to be enjoyable. And when it gets to the elite level, maybe our elite are reincarnated in some special way to manage the difficulty level. There was a, a forum called The Hidden Hand a long time ago. It's early internet lore, and it could have all just been a LARP, but someone claimed to be from the elite and they would answer any questions and then they'd go away and they'd come back. And so, but even if it was a LARP, they're pulling things from conspiracy culture and just pretending that it's them. But this thread has always been there that maybe on a spiritual level, the elite have made some agreement that they're going to be the villains of this reality, whether conscious or unconscious. Like we come into this life and we don't have any recollection of our soul deciding to do this particular life, but we're here. And it's possible that the elite, they they get very special schooling. They're really big on multi-generational control. The inbreeding thing used to be a big aspect of the elite level. I think it's possible that they know something about the reincarnation cycle, maybe something tied into genetics, and they've tried to manage that and stay ahead of it, whether because of some deal made at a higher level or just something they've discovered about the way our game here is set up. I think there's something to that. I think that there's this notion of jealous angels in the Bible. And I'm not even, I really even hate referencing the Bible, but this ancient idea of spiritual entities that are jealous or don't really like humans in our physical sandbox playground that we have. And I think they mess with us as well. I think maybe the elite are in contact with them and possibly doing their bidding at some times, maybe to the detriment of the humans inside the system. But I also think our thoughts have way more to do with reality than what we're taught. That I think reality is somewhat malleable and our thoughts on a wide scale affect the reality. That's why it's so important to not consume too much mainstream news. That's why they're pumping it full of fear and paranoia at every level. Imagine if that was shut off. Yeah. You know, it, it would be, it might change reality. We yeah, really absolutely. don't know. It's, it's sad that we can't ever control that lever, but, uh, it's just really an un, it's a tough thing to verify that our collective thoughts manifest reality, but it would be interesting to test that and, and reverse engineer some of the systems they have in place. I also think nature is not out to kill us. Our elite and the products that are made at scale by multinational corporations are much more dangerous than what you find in nature if you've got yourself secured from all the beasts out there. But that's something that's doable. Cultures did that before. And some of these things have a, a spiritual symbolic message to give if you look at a lot of indigenous cultures when they encounter things like that in the wild. And they really aren't, I mean, obviously I'm not Steve Irwin here, but maybe a poor choice of words because he did get killed by uh, yeah, a by nature, yeah. stingray. Stingray. But, uh, it's just that look, when you get into these indigenous cultures, they sometimes get pretty damn close to predators that we would consider to be just something that would rip you apart because they're not a part of our environment. Yeah. They seem to be able to, to sense the intelligence of nature, to know how to deal with those things. And you know, we're just scared of it all because it's just, it's, it's foreign to us. But those are some of the thoughts that I come away with when I think about all the guests we have yeah. I've interviewed over the years and, and their collection of thoughts. 
I think that so many things are set up to keep us from realizing the depth of our reality in multiple dimensions and all these things. And that's really key to the elite's control scheme is making sure we don't do psychedelics. Keeping sure us in the box. Keeping us in the box. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It, taking away, getting off, disconnecting. If everybody on the planet did it, it would just totally undermine their power completely. I know it's not going to happen, but their power comes with making us into the Borg, having us assimilated right now and separating from that takes that away. And I could go for another two hours after that, after what you just <laughs> talked about right now, because I, I, I'm, I'm right with you there. The, the, there's so much to the world that we don't know a thing about so much. There could be other entities sitting in front of us right now and we'd have no clue, no clue whatsoever. We think we might recognize what an extraterrestrial something look like because we, we've created this image. Armor. We don't have a freaking clue what it would look like or if it was in front of us or how it was interacting with this. The freaking ocean. What have we explored like 5% of the ocean? I don't even know how you, how you can know you've explored 5% if you haven't explored the whole thing. It, it, it this, the corners of reality are are controlled and created. There's a media. It's called agenda, the, the uh, agenda setting effect or something like that. That the media kind of controls what we think about, but the the images and the 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 thoughts that they kind of put out in front of us and everything else is like it doesn't even exist. When that's actually the really interesting deep level of consciousness stuff. So you really got me going there there at the end, and I'm, I'm sad that we're going to be closing out here. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's all good. <laughs> Well, I, I want to leave you with one thought, actually, that you're trying to help me or it feels like you're helping me put together a puzzle that a patron, really good, big, supportive patron of ours, uh, wrote me an email. She said, I'm, I can't listen to your show anymore. I can't support your show because I realize now, although you're right and you bring a lot of truth and you pull back the curtain on the propaganda of the day and all that, but I realize that we were meant to be innocent so the Garden of Eden, the fall of man, the, the tree of knowledge, we are. And then I think maybe it was on your show, Greg, that I heard Isaac Weishaupt say that you know, the goats go to the left and the sheep go to the right. And I started to try to piece that together. Like, are we, you know, why do they reveal all this stuff? Is it a revelation of the method? Really? Is it, you know, why, why do we know all this stuff? Why do they didn't have to give us the internet, you know, but they did. And, and I wonder if we are almost contributing to our own downfall by allowing our innocence to be robbed from us, just engaging in the search for the more sinister earthly materialistic truth that we really have what you were saying. Like we, we may be able to control it with our own state of mind, but I don't think we're having any control over it. You know, doing certainly, you know, pulling back the curtain doesn't seem to be slowing them down <laughs> at all. Right. Well, that makes me think about the whole ancient split of Gnosticism. I mean, I don't know enough about it to call myself a Gnostic because I think that'd be kind of posery. But the guests I have who do consider them Gnostics consider themselves Gnostics. That is the whole split. It's like, is knowledge power? I mean, is knowledge something that quote unquote God wants to keep from us? Was Lucifer a light bringer or was he, you know, the devil incarnate? That's why the matrix is a Gnostic tale. Do you take the red pill or the blue pill? Because Gnostics, they want that knowledge. And if we're in a system controlled by a tyrant, then this ain't my system. And I want to know everything I can about transcending it. That's the Gnostic perspective. It it goes back to ancient times, and I probably align deeper with that. 
All right. Well, we'll just take that and have to reflect on that for however long it takes for the next installment of this great saga that we're watching unfold before us to Act come three. on us. Act three. So thank you so much for your time, Greg. I really appreciate it. All the, uh, the demands that you have, all the people you talk to, it's always a privilege to listen to you, even if it's just on the shows that you're doing, but especially a treat on our show. Yeah, so thank, thank you, you very much. Of course. Thank you for having me. This is always fun. I did want to throw out, you know, people who know what I do know that the first hour of my interviews is free. The second hour is for subscribers. That is how we do it without any ads or any strings attached. And now that I've been doing these interviews, I have the setup to use coupon codes that I didn't have before. So if people are listening and they want to hear the full interviews of a some particular guests that I've got in my catalog, you can use the coupon code Monica and you get a free week of plus and you can download anything you want and it won't go away when that week is up. You have to cancel, but that's like the way these things work. But you can at least keep anything you find in that time. And I would urge people to listen to some of the experts I've talked to specifically about technocracy and COVID this year. And you can't say that there's any barrier to that knowledge other than putting in the coupon code at this point. You can get it for free. <laughs> That's right. I'm a very satisfied Plus member, I will tell you. And uh, it's not because like I, I listen to all two hours of every single thing, but they, the... You know, you pick and choose. You you have such a variety of guests that when there is a guest that really hits the spot, I can't imagine only hearing half of it. And then I went back when I became a plus member and I just started to listen to all the second hours of the people I love. Love Gordon White. I loved the Farrell one you did the other day. So I highly recommend that. I'm not I don't belong to many um, subscriptions, but that is one of them. And I'm still very satisfied, Greg. <laughs> Thank you wow. for using my name as a coupon code. <laughs> of course, of course. And thank you for saying that. I mean, people really need to ask the question, just like we talked about where their food is coming from. If your news, media, entertainment, and information is coming to you for free because it's propped up by the system, then that's something you really need to think about putting into your mind. And the only way that shows like yours and I and mine can exist is if it is decentralized and democratized amongst the people who find it to be worth their time and energy. And that's how I try to operate. Obviously, you too with the Patreon, although I would say uh, a little bit of caution. You know, you <laughs> yeah, don't want no. Patreon being the middleman between you and all your loyal But patrons. that's see, that's the thing not to belabor the point, but it is a t- ton of effort like getting the content out there it's actually a lot of effort and experience just being able to deliver it in a format like the way you you um get it out there your kind of formula of how you do your show like that all takes a lot of time and effort (laughs) and then like the admin stuff i just i really can't i can't conquer it like you have i mean i'm at the mercy of patreon but these things i mean it's just like any job it costs and and uh So I think it is important to support the people, especially you don't have any commercials or sponsorships. But well, anyway, I might have to pick no, your brain someday on how to how to break yeah. the Patreon yeah. habit. It really Absolutely. stresses me out. <laughs> you really should. Although I didn't think I was going to be resetting passwords all day, but it's it's still better than working at GameStop. I can reset these passwords on my own time, but <laughs> there is a lot of technical education that people require. 
and uh, I didn't really realize it was going to be like that, but there are systems. The, the better and more robust you can make your systems, the less you have to deal with those technical questions and stuff. But it is part of the game if you want to be independent and not have anyone uh, getting in between you and your people because those spigots can be shut off, and that's dangerous. Oh, dude. I've been taken down. WordPress devastated me. WSB took me down, but I mean, that was mainstream. I, that was only a matter of time. But anyway, so, well, excellent. Good luck to you. And uh, I really appreciate the content that you put out there. And I'm going to go walk my dogs and listen to some higher side chats right now. <laughs> uh, too kind. Thank you again, guys. I wish you both the best. Enjoy the holidays. Thanks a lot, Greg. Thank you, you too. too. Bye, Greg. 